If you had a chance to read the announcements this week, you'll see sort of how this mini-series of three weeks developed. The last few years at Easter time, it's been a time for media and others to, to bash God. God is dead. The reality is, God's not dead. He's still here, and he ain't going nowhere. However, if we're honest, we also admit that we may have some questions about God. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to ask uh, three of those questions. And today, we'll be using a phrase that has an interesting development. The question we're asking is, is God, God out to lunch? That phrase used to mean just what it said. You'd call somebody, or you'd go see somebody, and be told they weren't there, that they were out to lunch. That meant they were out eating lunch. But over the years, it's taken on the meaning of referring to someone who who isn't there, someone who's not with it, someone who just doesn't get it, somebody who's not in touch with the real world. We say they're out to lunch. And so with that background behind that, we asked this morning, has God out to lunch? To look at that, I invite you to join in reading Psalm 73. Psalm 73 in its entirety, it's a psalm not of David, but of Asaph. Let's hear this word of the Lord. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like a dream when one awakens. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This ends our reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, you know our hearts better than we do. So take these words 
and use them to stir us, teach us, challenge us, and comfort us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. There's a story about two men who raced. One was an American, one was a Russian, and the American won the race. A Russian reporter stated, the Russian came in second, the American finished next to last. Think about it, some of you will get it as we go along. That's called perspective, right? Saul's soldiers thought that Goliath was too big to kill. David thought Goliath was too big to miss. What a difference perspective makes. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to ask our top-notch tech crew, and by the way, I want to take an opportunity to say that I get in a lot of different churches, and the tech system and the tech people you have here do the job very well, and I hope you appreciate them. Having said that, I'm going to give them an assignment, and in a moment, they're going to put a phrase on the screen. It's a phrase that an English professor wrote on the board in his classroom. Now, when you see the phrase, I don't want you to talk to the person next to you or behind you. I want you just to look at it and punctuate it in your own mind. That's all you need to do, and it'll be clear in a moment why I don't want you to talk to anybody else about it. So when the phrase gets up there, I'll give you about 10 seconds to, in your mind, punctuate it. Okay? Have you got it? Okay. Go ahead, guys. Put up the phrase. Okay, what the professor discovered was the men tended to write, woman, without her man, is a savage. The women tended to write, woman, without her, man is a savage. (laughs) I'm not going to ask you which category you were in. You can talk about that later. (laughs) But personal perspective determines how we see things. And in Psalm 73... Asaph shared a lesson that he learned about holding on to a godly perspective. But he started by sharing a time when he had a very poor perspective. Now he admitted in verse 1 that the rock truth by which he lived his life was God is good and faithful to his people. It was the basic tenet of his faith. But he had begun to wonder, is God out to lunch? He continues, starting verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. As he looked at life, life didn't make sense. The righteous weren't being rewarded. And notice, he chose to focus on his experiences. The problem. My faith does not match my experience. Is God out to lunch? Verses 4 to 12, we see his heart. He relates the experience. He says the wicked were prospering while the godly were suffering. He claims the wicked have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from burdens common to the rest of us. They're not plagued by human ills. Their people turn to them, and they drink up waters in abundance. To Asaph, it seemed like it was the evil who were prospering. They were piling up the riches, and as he had viewed life from what he could see with his eyes, he became indignant at the earthly success and prosperity. I wonder, 
Have you ever felt that way? Life's not in perfect harmony. Sometimes it doesn't seem to make sense. It isn't being fair, at least to you. I remember thinking something like that when I got the only speeding ticket I ever got. I wasn't even sure I was speeding, of course, but my first thought when I realized that I was in trouble was to say, well, what about all the people who went flying by me? What about them? It's not fair. That's the way we feel, isn't it? Or when I was first in ministry, I'd look at some other minister who, in my humble opinion, was anything but humble, pastoring a church of, of renown and got all the riches and glory and fame just because of where he was. didn't seem fair. Was God out to lunch? Such experiences and reflections led Asaph to a posture. I question my faith. Faith, after all, didn't seem to be working. As Eugene Peterson paraphrases these words, I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. That's what a slap in the face every time I walk out the door. Now, Asaph, to his credit, said he didn't say any of this out loud because he didn't want to have a negative influence on those who were under his charge. And yet he admitted that saying nothing led to misery. He couldn't keep it bottled up inside. When I tried to understand this, it was oppressive to me. The temptation was great to forsake the faith and live it up with the wicked. One of the hymns we used to sing had these words, prone to wander Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Have you ever been there? Is God out to lunch? When we focus on our experiences, when we limit our sight to what we can see around us, we end up questioning our faith. How many of us haven't prayed intensely for a long time for God to stop COVID, and yet it's still a reality? Is God out to lunch? Millions are praying for an end to the war in Ukraine, and yet it seems like only God can stop it, and yet it rages on. Is God out to lunch? We pray for revival in America, as we will in a very concentrated way this Thursday, and yet the political culture of hatred grows stronger every day. Is God out to lunch? We pray for a relationship to heal, but it keeps deteriorating. Is God out to lunch? We pray for someone's healing or for their salvation, and it, it never seems to happen. Is God out to lunch? But something happened to Asaph. It changed everything. Something gave him back a godly perspective. He says, all that was this way until, verse 17, I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. His godly perspective was provided by the sanctuary. Asaph went to the temple. He went to worship. He entered the sphere of God's presence. He changed the place where he stood. Where we stand makes a difference. 
I could choose, if I wanted to, to come and walk halfway up the aisle here and focus on those in the balcony and those who are watching by live stream and do the whole sermon from here. And their reaction would tell me what was going on. I would have no idea what was on behind me here, who might be sleeping, who might be getting up and leaving, who might be talking, because I can't see them. But I could choose this perspective. I could choose to stand here. But if I come back and I stand in the pulpit, my perspective broadens. I can see much clearer what all is taking place and can have better communication because I can see the the overall picture, the total picture of what is taking place, of the atmosphere around me. Where we stand makes all the difference. Standing in the sanctuary, standing in the presence of God enables us to see the whole picture and it gives us God's perspective. Unfortunately, it's our tendency during times of questioning and frustration to avoid the sanctuary, to skip worship, and to slip away from God. And all that does is drive us deeper down into that poor perspective. To gain God's perspective, we must go where God's presence is manifest, focus on God, where we stand makes all the difference. And how important was this new perspective? What did it teach Asaph? First he learned the present is not permanent. Things are not always what they seem. When Asaph looked through God's eyes, he saw that there would be judgment for the wicked. It would be quick and swift and awful. Their end would not be pleasant. What he was experiencing was temporary and partial. It was not the whole picture. Things are not always what they seem. It reminds me of the story of a pastor who was visiting an elderly woman in her home. And he sat on the couch, and right next to the couch there was an end table, and on the end table there was a bowl filled with peanuts. And So as he was visiting, he took one and he ate it, and then he ate another, and he ate another, and all of a sudden he realized they were all gone. And feeling a little embarrassed, he, he said to her, I, I'm sorry, I've, I've eaten all your peanuts. The woman said, oh, that's all right. Every week or so my son brings me a bag of chocolate-covered peanuts, but I don't like the peanuts, so I just lick the chocolate off and put the peanuts back in the bowl. <laughs> things, things are not always what they seem, are they? Similarly, Asaph stood in the presence of God. And when he did, he was reminded of, of the plans and the order and the design of God. His experiences in life were not permanent. They were passing. They are not always what they seem. So whatever you are experiencing at this moment, it's not all there is. This life is not always what it seems. Look through God's eyes. And remember, as we've heard in music and prayer this morning, he's on the throne and he is in control. As that great hymn phrases it, though the wrong is oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Indeed, the present is not permanent. Things are not always what they seem. Second thing Asaph learned was that the promises of God are faithful. Things are as God says they are. Verse 23, yet, the word is nevertheless, literally, nevertheless, 
Nevertheless, in spite of the way things look, contrary to what we see, no matter how unfair life may seem to be, we know that God is faithful. And things are as He says they are, not always as they appear to be. Now, I find this very interesting. Asaph does not say, God, you are always with me. Rather, he says, I am always with you. The New Living Translation puts it, I still belong to you. I'm still in your hands. Nothing Asaph could ever say or do would ever change that fact. God would not let anything destroy that relationship. It is not what we have, but who has us that matters most. So Asaph continued, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. God holds him. His security and his confidence does not depend on his grip on God, but God's grip on him. Almighty God holds Asaph's hand. Notice it's his right hand. Why his right hand? When you shake hello with somebody or close a deal with somebody, what hand do you reach out? Right hand. Why? It's the covenant-making hand. It's the hand of faithfulness. It's the hand of fellowship. It represents sincerest and best interests. That's the hand God reaches out, and that's the hand he takes hold of. Even if Asaph loses his grip on God, God's grip holds firm on his right hand. And we can come together today and say how great it is that we know Jesus because Jesus picked up the same theme and he said, you will never perish. No one can snatch you out of my hand. My hand and the Father's hands are one. And then he went and died shortly after that to prove it so that Paul could write, there's nothing, there is no thing anywhere at any time that can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as we worship this morning, we are gripped by Jesus. No matter how deep the pain, no matter how heavy the loss, no matter how confusing life may seem, no matter how weak our grip on Jesus, he holds us in his hand, and no one and nothing can take us away from him. But furthermore, claims Asaph, You guide me with your counsel. God guided Asaph. Asaph relied heavily on the law of God. He based his life on it. He knew that the word of God was a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. And in the confusing, turbulent, bad news times of life, he did not ultimately need the answers to his questions. All he needed was to walk by faith and trust in God, for God knows the way to life. So much so that he eventually sent Jesus who came and said he was the way, the truth, and the life to guide us. And Jesus has gifted us with his Holy Spirit to be our constant companion and guide. God, indeed, is at the end of our road pulling us to himself and he will guide and pull us through to the end. And what happens when we get to the end? Asaph said afterward, at the end, you will take me into glory. Asaph was convinced that there was more beyond this life. There would be glory. 
a time and a place of the glorious presence of God. Indeed, the earnest hope that there is more to life than we know here. So Paul wrote, our slight momentary troubles are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. No matter what we're experiencing or seeing right now, nevertheless, in spite of the way things look, contrary to what we see, no matter how unfair it seems, God is faithful and things are as He says they are and will be as He says they're going to be. And remembering what he knew about God changed Asaph's perspective. Knowing those realities enables us to see things differently. One day, a manager in a Boston hotel received a phone call from a guest who was in her room. She, it was a distraught woman. And she said, I'm sick and tired. I'm getting dizzy and faint. I'm at my wit's end. There's somebody in the next room who's, who's been banging on a piano all day. And if it doesn't stop at once, I'm going to collapse and you're going to be responsible. The manager replied, well, I wish I could help you, madam, but, but I don't dare. The pianist is rehearsing for his concert tonight in Symphony Hall it's Paderewski, the great pianist. Oh, said the woman, that's different. She called her friends, they all came in her room and basically got a free concert. Knowing the reality changes the way we see things. Indeed. So Asaph developed a new perspective. He said we persevere through trust. Nevertheless, whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. In essence, the summary of Asaph's faith is trust in God and never give up. With that, he recommitted himself to trust in God. He personally made it a point to be near God and with God and in his presence. As someone has pointed out, if there's a great distance between you and God, be assured it's not God who has moved. The story told about Martin Luther, who was once very depressed over a prolonged period of time. And one morning, his wife came downstairs dressed all in black, and he looked at her surprised and said, Who died? She said, God died. He said, God didn't die. She said, then live like it and act like it. It's all a matter of perspective. So what is your perspective this morning? It will make all the difference in how you view life when you leave worship. There's a fable about a king who once called two men into his presence. To the first, he said, I want you to take six months to travel the length and breadth of the kingdom. And I want you to bring back to me a sample of every weed you can find in this kingdom. The man left. He said to the second man, I want you to take six months and travel the length and breadth of this kingdom. And I want you to bring me back a sample of every beautiful flower you can find in this kingdom. Six months later, both men appeared before the king. First man said, Sir, 
I've carried out your command. I didn't realize there were so many weeds in the kingdom. In fact, I now know there's nothing but weeds in this kingdom. second man stood before him and said, Sir, I've carried out your command. I must admit, I didn't realize there were so many beautiful flowers in our kingdom. In fact, I'm convinced there's nothing but beautiful flowers in this kingdom. Both went and found precisely what they were looking for, what they were conditioned to find. So I ask again, what is your perspective? When you look at your life right now, do you feel God is out to lunch? Where are you standing? In the middle of your experiences or in the presence of God? Nevertheless, I will keep swimming against the tide. Nevertheless, I will not give in. Nevertheless, I will not drown. Nevertheless, whatever happens, through thick and thin, in good times and in bad, I will trust God and I will never give up. Because this morning, we can say, nevertheless, we can say, nevertheless, because God in his great love has said, nevertheless, we are undeserving, but God says, nevertheless. We may fail to do what we ought to do and do the things we shouldn't do. God says, nevertheless. At times we may doubt and have little faith. God says, nevertheless. We may be despairing. God says, nevertheless. God says it because in life and in death we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And He's the one who said, yes, in this world you'll have tribulation. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. And then the world killed him. And Jesus said one last, Nevertheless! And he's seated on the throne in glory. So we end where we began, where Asaph began. God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. Are you willing to see that? Let's pray. Lord God, it is so hard sometimes in the midst of life here in this earth on which we journey to make sense of things. Thank you for reminding us it's not our job to make sense. It's our job to be in your presence. Apply the words that have been spoken. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.